So if you have your Bible, if you would turn to the book of Luke, um, chapter 3. Uh, we are continuing our way through this um, gospel, and, and really the, there are four gospels in the Bible. Uh, they are biographies of the life and, and ministry of Jesus, and, and each one shows a, a true picture of, of who Jesus is and, and what he did but from a slightly different angle and shows different aspects of his ministry. Uh, and we've, we've already gone through Luke 1 and 2. That was really introduction. It was looking at the, the birth of John the Baptist, the great herald of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus, uh, the announcement of that birth to the shepherds and at the temple. Um, and then we, we skipped ahead 30 years, moving into chapter 3, uh, to the beginning of John the Baptist's public ministry, just leading up to the baptism of Jesus. And so last week we, we looked at uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 1 to 14, focusing on John the Baptist's baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and, and what that ministry represents. And, and today we are continuing looking at the ministry of John the Baptist, uh, but we'll be looking at verse 15 to verse 20. So again, if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff who will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, for, for all the evil things he had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you that we can actually know about the life of Jesus as we know that, that his life is, is our life. We thank you for John the Baptist, the herald of, of righteousness. And, and Lord, as we see what it looks like for him to exalt Jesus above all else, we pray that, that we ourselves here today could, could do the same. And, and so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you'll notice in your order of worship that the, the title for the message today is What is Authentic Christianity? And to be honest, I always do struggle with um, titles to some extent. Um, but I think that that is an extremely important question of what is authentic Christianity? Uh, because it's so important for anyone who is going to church or involved in Christian community, or just e interested in Christianity to know what they're looking for. And as we, we come here then to, to our passage, we actually see a, a beautiful picture of authentic Christianity. And you might say, well, Will, haven't you been saying all along that John the Baptist is, is in some ways an Old Testament believer? And, and he, you know, he is. And, and we, we read about him in the New Testament that he's the last and ultimate Old Testament prophet coming to prepare the way from the Lord. 
But I think that what we see in the ministry of John the Baptist and what is shining through in the passage I just read um, is, a, is a picture of true and authentic Christianity. Because at its very root, authentic Christianity is about exalting Jesus. It's about putting Jesus Christ on center stage and saying, no, don't look at us, don't look at our accomplishments, look at him, that he is, is everything. And sometimes you, if you read Christian literature, you'll hear the phrase Christ, Christ-centered, and sometimes that can even be overused a little bit. Um, but it's, it's a great phrase, because that's what we see here, that, that John is Christ-centered. He's exalting him. And, and so what he shows us then is actually three lessons of what it looks like for us to exalt Christ, to, to be rooted and grounded in him today. So the first lesson is that we should exalt Christ over ourselves. The second is that we should exalt Christ over our ceremonies. The third is that we should exalt Christ over our misconceptions of his identity. So let's start then with that that first lesson that we see here from John, that we should exalt Christ over ourselves. And that's exactly what we see John doing. If you look at your Bible in verse 15, um, it says, And as the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And so, as people were looking at the the ministry of John, uh, he became kind of a religious celebrity that people heard about his baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. They were very intrigued on on what he was doing. And, and that's something that's even confirmed by extra biblical sources. Um, some of you may have heard of Josephus. He talks about John, I mean, in some ways, even more than he talks about Jesus, <laughs> that he was a really famous, important figure at the time. And so as, as people were looking for the Messiah, waiting for the Messiah, they, they were, might list, okay, who are the top candidates to be the coming Messiah promised in the Old Testament? And as they went down that, that checklist, John the Baptist seemed to fit in so many ways. So they said, maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is uh, Elijah come again. Maybe this is a prophet in, in line with people like Jeremiah or Isaiah. And so we see here that the people got together then and started saying to John and to each other, hey, maybe this guy is the Messiah who is to come. And I, th- and I think that at this point, John maybe have faced actually a temptation because people were saying, wow, you know, the ministry of John, he's doing great things. He's, he's baptizing so many people. He's changing so many lives. Um, and so I think that John could have at that point just exalted his own ministry and tried to make a lot of himself. I mean, you could think of the, the stories of somebody like George Washington, who's, who's famous for the fact that people wanted to make him king <laughs> after the American Revolution. Like, literally, they wanted to make him the king of America. And he refused to be made the king. And that almost never happens in human history, that somebody is basically offered the opportunity to, to rule or to have some sort of authority or power, and then they, they willingly turn it down for some sort of higher purpose and cause. And that's really what we see in John, that, that he could have made himself a a king, 
He could have made himself out to be the Messiah, to be some kind of great prophet. Or at least he could have been vague enough on the matter to say, well, maybe I'm the Messiah, get a few more donations, build his mansion out on the, the banks of you know, the, the, the Sea of Galilee, put his, his yacht out on the, the sea there. Um, but that's not, that's not what he, he did. Um, but he put all of his energy into saying, no, don't look at me. I'm nothing. Look beyond me to the Messiah who is coming because he is mightier than me. He's greater than me in every single way. But then what, what he says is that it's not just that the Messiah is going to come and the Messiah is going to be kind of the, the CEO and then John's going to be just the, you know, the chief financial officer where they're working together. But John says, no, when the Messiah comes, I'm the servant. I'm the lowest of the low. Because according to some um, sources of the time, it was thought that you know, if you had a teacher, that the disciple of the teacher would essentially function as a servant. You know, so, so you say, is there any, I know there's a few teachers here, but it would be, well, bring me water, and the student would have to bring the water. Or bring me food, and they'd bring uh, food. <laughs> um, but then what, what they said in, the, in a lot of the, the sources was that, you know, the, the disciple should do everything, be a servant, to, to the point of n they wouldn't yet unbuckle the, sh the sandals of the teacher, um, but everything up until that point. But what, what John is saying is that, no, I am... I'm the lower than the lowest servant. I'm lower than the lowest disciple that, that I'm not even worthy to you know, get down into the, to the dirt and touch the, the dirty sandal that has trekked through the Judean countryside. That I can't even do that because the Messiah is, is so much beyond me in every single way. And I, and I think that that is just you know, a remarkable picture of exalting Jesus saying, I'm nothing. Jesus is everything. Don't look at me. Don't look at my ministry. Look to him entirely. And, and I've used this before, um, but there's a great image of this from a, a pastor, theologian, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, and he, he called it evangelical humiliation, uh, which is just a fancy way of saying we think less and less of ourselves as we, as we grow as Christians. So, you know, when you, to become a Christian is to say, no, I'm a servant that Christ is greater. I'm humbling myself. I'm trusting in him. But when we first put our trust in Jesus, we are see ourselves as, you know, fairly large, and Jesus is just a little bit larger. But then as we start to live our Christian life, we see more and more the depth of our sin. We see more and more our unworthiness. We get smaller and smaller, but then simultaneously the, the love and mercy and grace of Christ and the, the power of the cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what it is to, to grow in the Christian life. And so we see then that, that John is somebody who understands this kind of evangelical humiliation to say, to say, no, I'm going to be willing to become smaller and smaller and smaller, that Jesus becomes bigger and bigger and bigger because he is the Lord. He is the, the giver of life. He's the one who is the, the source of, of everything in the world. And, you know, I, I think that there's a the great quote of this uh, from a pastor, J.C. Ryle, who is commenting on our text today. And, and he says that a faithful minister will always exalt Christ. Would we know whether a minister is sound in faith and deserving of our confidence as a teacher? We have only to ask a simple question. Where is Christ in his teaching? 
would we know whether we ourselves are receiving benefit from the preaching we attend. Let us ask whether it affects, or its effect is to magnify Christ in our esteem. A minister who is really doing good will make us think more of Jesus everywhere that we live. And I, and I think that that's beautiful, just that a, that a, a minister who's really doing the right thing, who's really faithful, is going to make Jesus look better and better every year that, that we live. And that, that's the mark of, of somebody who's really faithfully preaching the word is, is, is somebody drawing attention to themselves and their own eloquence and their own glory? Or is Jesus always shining through and looking bigger and better and more glorious and more powerful? And, you know, that is something that I always desire to have when I'm preaching. I know I do it imperfectly, but to say that, okay, I'm not the one shining through, but Jesus is shining through. Or if, if you listen to any sort of preaching or you li listen to any sort of teaching or read Christian books, whatever it is, the, the big question they always ask is, is how is this pointing out who Jesus is? Is it making the author or the teacher or the ministry look bigger and, and better and shinier? Or is it saying, no, Jesus is, is everything. He is life itself. And so I think that even as we think about our church together, is that the, the kind of attitude we have? That you, if you invite somebody to hope, are you saying, come because of the pastor or come because of the music or come because of the, the people? And those are all hopefully things that are good. <laughs> um, but, but ultimately are, is, is the really the root of saying what, what John says that, that no, the, the one who is coming is, is, is greater, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to touch, uh, and that, that we are nothing as individuals, as a church, and that, that the thing that we want is always to have people see the beauty and the glory of Christ. And if one thing can come through in Hope Church, I hope that that will be what shines through clearly. And so really that's then, then the first lesson from John, that we should exalt Christ over ourselves. But then second, we should exalt Christ over our ceremonies. And look at verse 16 again in your Bible. John said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so, you know, last week I, I talked about the ministry of John. I said that it was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that he called people down to the Jordan River for baptism to symbolize repentance, to symbolize turning from sin to, to, to the Lord, to symbolize uh, the people not claiming their Jewish heritage is the reason that they're accepted by God, but knowing that to be in relationship with God is to, is to repent and to, to trust in, in God. But then here, John begins to downplay the central aspect of his own ministry. I mean, we call him John the Baptist. <laughs> it's even built into his name, but he's saying, no, my, my baptism, this, this washing of water in the Jordan River, it's not that it's unimportant, but it's, it's a sign, it's a symbol of a deeper spiritual reality. I'm, I'm symbolizing the change and renewal of human hearts, but he can't actually affect the change in the heart through the washing of water, that, that the ceremony doesn't actually do what only Christ can do. And so he, he downplays 
the ceremony to exalt Christ. But, it, but really, I think in, even in church history, if you look at what Christians have done over and over again for the last 2,000 years, that we always tend to take the ceremony and begin to put the ceremony above the power of Christ rather than seeing it as something that is, is symbolizing who Jesus is. So, so even think of, of baptism. Baptism is a great thing. Christ commands baptism. He says, go into all the nations and baptize in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that it's a sign of coming into the, the visible covenant community of, of Christ. But then what Christians have done repeatedly for 2,000 years is to say, okay, well then maybe baptism actually does the spiritual work in and of itself, that the water of baptism is actually what changes you. So if you, if you go through the, through the ceremony, it guarantees the accomplishment of the spiritual reality behind it. And theologians call it baptismal regeneration. So it, it takes essentially the ceremony and says that the ceremony is what actually changes. So it's not just um, water that's pointing to a deeper internal reality. And you can think of this even in um, hospitals that do emergency baptisms or, or saying, because there's a there's sense of, oh right, the baptism is actually what's going to change and, and to affect. So we have to have the ceremony. And, and you, this can happen in numerous ways, whether it's baptism or the Lord's Supper or any ceremony of the church. But what we see here is that that we should never exalt the ceremony over the power of, of Christ. That, that yes, I baptize people as a Christian minister because that's what Jesus commands, but I also try to make it clear that, no, this is not what changes you, that, that Jesus is the only one who has the power to change and transform the heart. And anything ceremony that we do, as good as it is, is just pointing to that inner reality of Jesus. And, and that's why John says that, Christ will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with power. Because according to scripture that we are all dead in our sins and trespasses, we um, cannot choose God in and of ourselves, uh, but that he sends his Holy Spirit to bring us from death to life, to, to regenerate us, to, to make us to be, to be born again by his spirit. And it's this, this washing that, that is inside, that is accomplished by Christ, that then any ceremony is just symbolizing and sealing. And so if you're here and you're a believer, then Christ is, work, is working and has worked in you by his spirit to bring you from life to death, that you have the, the internal reality to which the ceremony points. And, and so I definitely hope that we'll value the ceremonies, in the same way that John is not saying that it was t wrong for him to have a baptism of water, um, but that we will always look beyond the ceremony, that we won't just be content with external forms. And, and so when we, when we come to church, we're not just saying, well, it's enough just to go to church, or it's enough just to go through the motions, or it's, it's enough to just sing the songs, or it's enough to just come and you know, take the supper together, or it's enough just to have water placed on us that yes all of those things are good and christ uses those things but but what we want is ultimately christ we want the transformation of the spirit within us that only he can affect um, and that is what he promises and, and offers us in the gospel so that's our second lesson then from john that that we should exalt christ over and above our ceremonies but then our, our third and final lesson here from John is that we should exalt Christ 
over our misconceptions about his identity. You might say, well, okay, where is that in the text? And, and I frankly struggled a little bit of how to, to word that, but we have misconceptions about Christ's identity and that, that he is exalted even above who we may think him to be. Because it, as we see here at the time of John, people were often very confused about the Messiah. They believed the Messiah was coming. They believed uh, that he would be an important person, that he was predicted, but yet they couldn't agree on exactly what it would look like. Some people said, well, the Messiah is going to be a, a political power who's going to reform the government and kick out the Romans. Or people said that the Messiah is going to be a, a religious leader who's going to call people back to the Torah and call them back to faithfulness to the, the law. But very few people would have seen what, what John says here about the Messiah, that he is the, the decisive judge of the universe, that he really defies and refines the misconceptions of the identity of the Messiah. Look at verse 16 in your Bible. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so you see that John here is describing the Messiah, overcoming the misconceptions with this agricultural imagery. And when people would have their, their harvest, they would bring all of the grain to what was called the threshing floor. They would maybe use a donkey or some other animal to pull uh, some sort of piece of wood or rock behind that would crush the, the grain and separate the, the grain from the stock. And then it would, they would throw it into the air. The chaff would blow away and the grain would fall back down. And so it was a way of, of separating the part you want from the part that you don't want. And so, so what, what John is saying here is that, that Jesus, that the Messiah who is coming, who is greater than him, is the one with the, the winnowing fork in his hand. You can think of him you know, sticking the winnowing fork into humanity, pulling it up into the air, and so that the chaff blows away. Um, and so this is the, the separating, judging work of, of Jesus. Um, and it, it's really saying that what the world is now is a mixed bag. And Jesus says that a lot in, in his ministry as well, right? whether it's the, the wheat and the, the tares growing up together, that the, the world has the, the wheat and the, uh, the chaff together and that it's not up to us to separate the wheat and the chaff it's not up to anyone else but that Jesus is actually the one as the Messiah who is the authority and the power as the judge to separate the, the wheat from the chaff and, and it, it says this shocking phrase that the chaff he will burn with with unquenchable fire and so I think though that what what John is doing then is he's not just challenging the assumptions of first century people about what the Messiah would look like, that he's far greater. But he also challenges our misconceptions today as well. Because if you just went onto the street and, and asked uh, your average people, asked 50 people on the street who Jesus is, you would probably get a, a lot of answers that, that he's a, a moral teacher, that he, he was a, a good guy. But I think even in a lot of images from from movies or just the popular conception of Jesus is sometimes a, a nice guy 
but maybe a little bit boring and um, not really that interesting. I think that that's often where people would fall. And I d but I don't think that people would say, oh yes, um, Jesus, he's the one who has the, the winnowing fork in his hand and he's going to separate the, the wheat from the chaff and he's going to, to burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. <laughs> that, that's, that's not what we, we think of, but yet it is the, the picture here in scripture of him as, as the, the judge of the, the universe. Yes, he's the humble baby. He's the one who brings children into his, his ministry. Uh, but yet he's also the, this, this terrifying judge of the universe. And so uh, I think then as, as, we, as, we, as we look at that, it almost feels strange, a hard idea for us to follow. Maybe we're not comfortable with this idea of Jesus as, as the judge of the universe, it, it may, might even seem distant or terrifying or dis, distasteful. But what we see here in our text is that it's actually good news. It's, it's really surprising. Look, look at verse 17. He says, the winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the th threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. You know, and, I, and I, I think there's almost even humor in the way that that's worded. That, you know, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. And you think, good news? <laughs> that doesn't sound like good news. That seems like your statement of judgment, statement of uh, the, this, this one who's coming to divide the humanity. Um, is this good news? And it really is. Because in, in the Bible, the, the good news of Jesus is always just inextricably tied to the bad news. That, that we say, well, well, why did Jesus come? Why did he die? Why did he do the things that, we, that, that he did? Well, it's all meaningless unless we, we know the, the bad news behind the, the good news. And so, yes, the, the bad news is what John is saying is, yes, there is judgment according to the Bible. Yes, there is the, the winnowing fork for those who, who do not repent and, and trust in, in Jesus. And yes, according to scripture, there is this unquenchable fire that, that John talks about. That is the, the witness of scripture. We talked about it um, last week. But yet there is also this amazing good news because we're not just left then with a, with a, with a judge who separates and, and burns the chaff with unquenchable fire, but actually in, in the ministry of Jesus, he enters into the judgment on our behalf, that, that on the cross what Jesus does is he becomes chaff in a sense for us, that, that he is burned in the fire of, of God's judgment for us. And, and it's because judgment is real, and that's why the cross is, is judgment, but yet Jesus out of love and, and mercy and out of grace for us did that in our place so that we can actually have life. And so that's why... It says that, that in, in, with other, these exhortations, he preached good news to the people because Jesus is the good news that, that when that sifting takes place, that on the day of judgment, that, that we have no fear, we don't have to worry about who we are or where we're going because of Jesus. And this was just stated really beautifully, I thought, in a commentary came across this week that it, it said that just as fire consumes what is destructible, and works a purifying clean, in, a, in a purifying and cleansing manner, so the Messiah will, through the Holy Ghost, consume sin and sinners insofar as they cling to sin. 
In this way, those who persist in sin will be destroyed, but those who sincerely confess their sin and flee to him for refuge will be purified from sin for their own salvation and delivered from its penalty and power. And so this is then, you know, we said that we were exalting Christ, that that's the, the mark of authentic Christianity. And, and it's, it's exalting the whole Christ. It's exalting him as the teacher who instructs, the judge who, who punishes, but then also as a sacrifice who takes the punishment in our, in our place, who, who loves us and died for us and, and gives himself for us so that, so that we can have life and, and relationship with God. And so then as we, as we come today to the, to the Lord's Supper, we see the very things that we have been talking about today. We said that the authentic Christianity exalts Christ above self. And, and so when we come to this meal, we see something that is this Christ-exalting picture, that, that this is a picture of Jesus and his work for us. It's not a picture of our work. It's not the picture of the things that we have done. But we come to this uh, as servants who say that, that Jesus is everything, that the, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to touch. And we, and we said that, that authentic Christianity also set, exalts Christ above a ceremony. And here's a ceremony <laughs> that, that Christ gave us, um, that he instituted at the Last Supper. But yet, this is not to, to take away from the power of Christ. Because w as we come to this, we're not looking just to an empty sign and an empty ceremony, but to actually Jesus who has the power to change, the one who can baptize with the Spirit and power.